Be Fabulous with Vibs and Vicky, the ThinkShift podcast for professionals who aspire to be fabulous leaders, those who not only succeed, but also purposefully seek to reinvent the world. Hey, well, welcome to the uh, Be Fabulous podcast. This is part of our season three. And uh, as you know, we've been bringing in guests uh, to run these sort of mini series, if you like. And I'm delighted to do the next mini-series here. And this time it's with Sean McCall. Uh, Sean McCall is a good friend, um, vice president, recovering technologist and business leader. I'm not sure how he wants to phrase himself. I'll let him introduce himself shortly. But um, what we really want to do is, uh, you know, we see this a lot in our world where we have, you know, what I like to call fabulous people who are techies, if you will. And they're on that journey to become business leaders and they often don't know if they want to or what it looks like or how to do it or, or what that means for their sense of identity. Is that how are they going to be valuable? Um, and assuming one does want to take their career in that direction to the perspective of, of higher levels of leadership, then what do you have to do? And instead of us, Vicky and I talking about it, we thought we'd actually get someone on board who's... Um, a uh, little, little bit younger and has been through that shift and actually endured, endured our famous circles of suck and come out of it the other way. So the way we're going to do this series is we've got episode one uh, on the sort of techie to business leader series is going to be what I'm calling the identity shift, which is how you have to look at yourself differently. Episode two is going to be the human shift, which is um, how one has to look at relating to humans in a very, very different way. And finally, what I call the authenticity shift. And uh, more on that um, to come in episode three. So without further ado, I want to welcome back Vicky from her uh, wonderful vacation, and of course, Sean. Hello, everyone. Hey, Vips. Hi, Sean. Great to have you here. Yeah, thrilled to be here. Great to see you. And I'm so excited about this journey we're going on, as I uh, had a similar journey, and I had a very bad circle of suck. <laughs> so I can't wait to hear more about yours. Yeah, it's it's fun to it's fun to be here and to talk it through. Um, Vips, you want me to go into an intro from here? Absolutely. I would like, I mean, I think it'd be great for everyone. I mean, they know who we are, uh, hopefully. Okay. Uh, but they don't know who you are. So it'd be great for you to um, just share a little bit about you and your story. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So thanks again for having me. It's, it's wonderful to be here. Um, you know, my story is that, uh, you know, when I was in college, I think as, as most people are, they're, they're trying to hit the right balance of what, what do I like to do and what's in demand. And um, what I realized is that uh, the computer programming jobs were bountiful at that time. And so that, that easily got my attention. And I shifted over to, to that area. I ended up getting a MIS degree, a management information systems degree from LSU in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And that was a wonderful experience. That helped land a technology job with Anderson Consulting or, or Accenture, uh, as they're known these days. And after being there for four years or so, I had the skills that I needed to 
really to break out and become an independent consultant. And um, so that journey, just that part of it, took me from uh, technical to more deeply technical because the way the market responds to um, to sole proprietors and and uh, you know independent contractors is by rewarding technology skills. So I built those up and. And I, I enjoyed that part. I made I made a lot of money and had a lot of flexibility. Um, you know, probably had the chance to build the business, but I chose not to. Really, just kept uh, flexible and and enjoyed riding the next technology wave and and stuff like that, and not really worrying about any uh, any employees. Uh, but you know, around the uh, you know, it was during that time that uh, the tech. Um, the tech was still interesting, but but there were things that started to change for me, um, and I think I just wanted something more. I wanted something bigger, and I realized that uh, that tech was not um, tech was not the dog. Uh, it was it was the tail, and it was really the the business. And so I felt like I was I was kind of the tail trying to wag the dog, and and just realized that there was there was more that I needed to know. It was more about people, about business, about product, about strategy, about the intersection of those things into into what makes companies go and what makes uh, products go, what makes solutions go, and what creates value for for companies and for customers. So I kind of started this journey of of moving more into holistic consulting, and and that was still through a, a technology lens, but um, has has expanded over time. Um, as I've gone, it's been um, more than a 25-year career, all all in consulting. So, Sean, I'm curious about your circles of SAC. I'd love to hear about your first one. So, as you're going on your journey, um, I know our listeners would love to know, like, what was that first really tough moment where you're like, I think I'm doing all the right things, but something in you just feels not good. You just don't, aren't enjoying it. It's, it's just harder than it should be, and you're struggling away. I'd love to know about your your first circle of sex. Well, the you know the very first one was was right when I started the the first project as a brand new hire. And when they when they got me there, they said uh, we don't have anything for you to do yet. And so uh, that was super I, I, I frustrating. That one. I don't know about Vicky. I had that one too. Oh yeah, yeah. I had it. I, I had to threaten my one manager that I was going shopping. <laughs> and he could call me back when he had something for me to do. <laughs> so I was, uh, well, I was just real eager and I wanted to prove that I belonged and I wanted to start the process of building skills. So uh, with, a, with a little bit of observation and a little bit of help from, from others, what I ended up doing was buying an Excel book, Microsoft Excel, and I worked through every exercise in that book. And before you knew it, a couple months later, I had built a reputation as uh, someone who could fix anybody's spreadsheet. And then a couple months after that, I got called into the CEO's office of our client uh, to fix some budgeting spreadsheet. And so there I was on this weird fast track into the, into the C-suite corner office. But, um, but, you know, back to the circle of suck, it was really just kind of a fear-based thing. I was like, this is not good for me to sit here and wait. I need to do something. And so I just thought, I think the way out of the circle of suck is to, to is to try to build a skill on a ubiquitous platform. And so the part of the question I asked was what what's going to matter for maybe the entire arc of a 40-year career? And just in talking with some folks, it seemed like 
spreadsheets are probably not going away for a long time. And, and sure enough, um, I think that's true. Money and numbers and, are normally uh, a safe bet, right? That's right. That's right. And uh, so, so, you know, I, but I think that the circle of suck really was just, it was fear of the unknown and it was fear of just uh, not, not becoming who I thought I could be. And, uh, and that, that drove a lot of motivation. Well, I love how you, you tackled that because it would be so easy uh, to sit on your hands or uh, go shopping like I did. <laughs> it would be so easy just to wait for something to come to you as opposed to figuring out, I mean, I think getting into Excel is, is genius. It probably even would be today um, because it drives so many business leaders as they think about their, their plans or their data or whatever it might be. So I'm like, wow, why didn't I think of that? That was genius, especially as a young person, because it's a skill you can learn really easily. And it's got huge business value because most people only know the basics. They don't know how to do all the com- complex formulas and things behind the scenes. Well, I think that's true. And I had some fun with it. One of the things that I did is I, I built a bingo card generator. And, um, <laughs> and what we used to do is put um, the phrases that our manager would say all the time into a little Excel-based bingo card generator, people would come to my office and, and get a new card and we'd go into the meeting and the rules were that uh, you won only if you if you got bingo and then you said the word bingo in the meeting. So funny things would happen. You know, the, the manager would say these couple of phrases and then and then someone would say, you know, you know, Johnny, I that's a brilliant idea. If we if we just take that step, then bingo will will be right where we want to be. And you could and the whole room would would deflate because they knew someone had had cleared their card. <laughs> <laughs> but what a great way to introduce early gamification as well and make it men- yeah. in- meetings interesting. Well, at least you get to keep people engaged until they hit bingo, right? That's right. So That's the, right. the key is to keep it going till the 58th minute so your hours meeting works out just fine. That's right. And, you know, and it was really just a, like a random function and – uh, me experimenting with some lesson that was in this Excel book to try to f- figure out, well, what could I do with this? And I thought, well, okay, here's a creative way that would be entertaining. And so, you know, I think it's, maybe those were some of the early signs of connecting, you know, to the the value of tech. Um, you know, maybe I had more of it in me at the beginning than I realized, but it certainly was a tech-focused existence at the beginning. I think what's also really interesting about what you said was it it talks a lot to one of our fabulous personal negotiables, which is, you didn't wait to be told what to do. The grit and hustle came through. I, I, got, I got to do something. Let me go and do something. And with a bit of luck, value will emerge. Now, you were, you were probably thinking about it for even longer, like what might be a good thing to do that's going to be valuable for an extended period of time. But I think that's, it's worth calling out, particularly for people who listen to this that are maybe earlier on in their careers, is it's very easy to only do the things that your boss asks you to do. And that, that kind of environment, there's a certain amount of self-empowerment that you do in order to try to do something rather than, you know, sit on your backside and do nothing, which I think is probably what I did when I was in your, I think it took me two or three times to get to the point where actually I can do anything I want. Um, I think you probably got there a bit quicker, but that identity shift you describe is, is very much the arc to that starting that journey, if you like, into becoming a technologist. And then you said you went even deeper. I did. Um, it went even deeper. I, um, you know, I'll tell you for for a while, probably f- uh, three or four or five years into my career, my best days were the days where I didn't talk to anybody, and I had the door closed and a Unix prompt, and was just 
coding away. And, um, and, and I think it was because uh, people are inherently messy and businesses and processes and business strategy, these things, they're, they're messy and they're complex. And I think, you know, in my middle 20s, I appreciated the simplicity of, um, you know, you, you're trying to get some software that's got some clear rules or a language that's got clear rules and clear syntax and stuff to to work the way you want it to. So it it was a way maybe to control the environment a little bit and to keep my world small. Um, and so, yeah, for a while, it, it, it got very much uh, focused on, on technology, but, you know, that also kind of ran its course. And, and I just realized that, you, you know, you can't stay, <laughs> can't stay in a closed door room that there's a big world out there. And, and I think part of it was just, you know, some of the solutions that we were working on, they, they didn't land the way I thought they were, they would. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of that was that there was too much closed door. There was too much headphones on. There was too much uh, tech and not enough of the other pieces. And I think that's, you know, that's probably some of the next circle of suck is, is just living through some of those painful moments of missing the mark or, you know, or creating some disappointment for other people. Uh, that that motivated some of the next parts of the journey. What would be a good example of that? I'm curious. Um, when did you miss the mark? If you could make it real for us. Yeah, you know, I think um, you know the trying to trying to think of of the of the of a good example. I you know I think it it just comes down to um, you know the buildup. It's it's a little bit similar to um, to the to the progression of getting a gift for somebody that you really care about. And so you you listen and you ask questions and then you shop and you buy and then you wrap and then you wait. And that and that that's an anticipatory type buildup. And then and then there's the big reveal. And um, and sometimes you get it right. And and then, you know, what it feels like when you've missed the mark. There's there's looking away and there's quiet voices and there's, you know, not wanting to say it. And, and then there's not, there's not usage and and those kinds of things. So there was a similar thing where, you know, like I did the equivalent of the asking questions and the shopping and wrapping. And then when the big reveal came, I could, you could just feel it in the room. This is not what they wanted. There was something missing. And, um, and that it was real heartbreaking because I was taking, you know, just like this very earnest, approach to it, but I, I wasn't asking the right questions. And, and, um, and, you know, and we just, we just were not, uh, we were not communicating well enough yet about, about what was needed. You know, you are so humble in the way you express that. And I, I need to maybe ask a question a slightly different way. I mean, I, I know what you do for a living. I know where you work for a living. So that we, you're surrounded by many techies, right? Many techies That's right. who got deep, they do like wearing the headphones much like I'm wearing right now and you're wearing right now, do like staring at the, well, Linux prompt, I suspect now. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and um, how do you advise and coach them that there is a world outside of that room if they're even interested? Like, what, what, how does that play out in the world you're in? Yeah, these days, you know, even though we've got a lot of technologists, like you said, uh, we're, we're taking uh, just a lot more holistic approach that things start with business value they start with unmet needs and um, and solutions, whether they're technology or process or otherwise, that don't meet a need are are a waste of effort, and they're and they're they're just they're not worth it. So so we've really inverted 
the model in a lot of ways, and we and we we always start there, and we start there with with new hires as well. What's the business value? Why are we doing this? What happens if we don't do it? Who cares? Why do they care? Um, those types of questions, and I, I think that just uh, it builds a, a baseline or a, or a set of fundamentals to where you're you're a lot more wired that way. Um, you know, I think I think also now a lot of the degree programs at at the top universities they're also figuring this out and they're integrating it into the way they teach it as well. But certainly the way I was taught, none of that stuff mattered. It was all it was all syntax and functions and structure and these things that don't don't have anything to do with business value. Business value was this other thing that you had to learn, and, and it was almost like a second class citizen. Like you need to go learn this on your own time. It's not, it's not in the core curriculum. And I think what we've done is we've just inverted that and we've said, no, it, it is the core curriculum. You need to have the answer to that question before you move into any tech or, or into any building of anything. Okay, so I have, I'm really curious as to how you answer these because we have these all, all day long, Vicky and I. So you, you have these wonderful technologies, right? They can make computers sing and they can chuck out story points like they're going out of fashion or they've figured out, figured out that MongoDB is really wonderful or that AWS is the second coming of whatever. Um, and, and from their point of view, it's, I don't want to do anything else because this is what pays me a lot of money. This is what makes me valuable. So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't buy what you just said. So, so if I'm in that place, what, what are the consequences? And it could be positive or negative. What are the consequences of holding on to that identity, the techie identity? What are the consequences? Yeah, I think that I think the consequences are that um, that you will miss the mark eventually. The, I think the consequences are that you will you will not understand why something's truly needed and and therefore it's gonna you might be on this wave but it's gonna be hard to catch the next wave and the wave after that so it's a way i think to insulate your skills um to, you know away from just the technology platform you know it's you know i, I recall a, a conversation with a brilliant technologist who was very excited about graph databases and they were they were talking to me about it and there was a lot of passion around it and and it but it was a bit of a you know kind of hammer looking for for a nail it's like i've got this cool tool look what i can do with it now let's cruise around and and find the nails and it you know in the process of of working with them i think what we found is that the graph databases can can find connections that humans aren't good at finding and and that's really where the power is so then where are the are the use cases where um, lots of data is coming in and and a, and a computer could serve up an idea that that a human might not get to and so we we kind of shifted this thing from being focused on graph databases to being focused on moments of value there's there are these moments where there's a decision that can be made and if you give the right information to the right people in the right moment, then a moment can become highly valuable to a retailer or to um, to some you know in some type of commercial transaction because because information is provided. Um, 
and you know it, it it could be it could be any number of things like the size of the of the last pair of shoes that you bought or the um or or the connection that you know that three of us have you know like a graph database might be able to serve up the you know maybe the nine people that we have in common i'm just making up a number um you know as the, the seven you know, if we were going to obviously right right clearly yeah uh, but if we were going to add people in, you know, a, a, a graph database might find that faster than we would if we we're just uh, talking about it and throwing out names and testing. So, you know, it's it's those kinds of moments um, that that were real powerful. And, I, you know, that's a that's an example of the of, I think, where the value could come from. But if that if that same technologist is left with graph databases, they're they're not having the same type of conversation uh, that you could otherwise. So, Sean, when you think about that journey you've been on in the circles of SAC, what would you do differently if you had to do it over again, if anything? Yeah, well, I, I would do it differently. I think I would, I would want to grow up in the model we're using today. I'd want to, I think I'd want to invert it and go business value first uh, to be followed by tech only when it's appropriate and only when it's only when it's valuable. Um, how just because tell, I, how do you tell your 20 year old self that though? Yeah. When your 20 year old self wants simplicity. He's still 20, Vicky. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish. You know, when you're, uh, when, you're, when your 20 year old self wants simplicity, wants, you know, the power of tech, it's a whole different set of motivations. It is. It is. I think it's an excellent question. And I, I think that there's an element of, of bringing the pain forward. Uh, you can't you can't avoid the pain, but but you can bring the pain forward. And and I think that especially for a twenty year old, especially looking back on me when I was twenty, I didn't do I wasn't necessarily motivated to change without pain and suffering, <laughs> and and the circle of suck. So I think that the way it would have worked would be to shorten the cycles. So some of the projects you know were like you know, 10 weeks or 20 weeks long. And that's a long, that's a long time to go off and try to build something before you bring it back. I think we would, I would want to chunk it down and say, Hey, you know, build something in a smaller cycle and test it. And that would bring the pain forward. And I think I'd realize on smaller cycles that we were, we were not on track. And I think that pain would have, would have motivated uh, some awareness. I don't know if it would have been enough to change, but I think it would have gotten my attention because I, I certainly didn't want to, I didn't want to be a B player and I didn't want to underwhelm clients and managers and stuff like that. So I was pretty motivated to get it right. I just, I didn't know how to ask the right questions. And, and I think some of these shorter cycles and bringing the pain forward would have been a way to, um, to, to learn how to ask the right questions. Yeah. It's really interesting because you know, I had this belief that we live through everything we need to live through to learn our lessons. And it all happens in just the right timing and just the right way. And it, it makes me wonder, if you had have shortened the cycles, would you have learned the lessons you needed to learn in the right way? Well, um, again, I, I love that perspective. I, I mean, maybe the podcast would be different and we'd be talking about uh, about something about something else because you know the sliding doors say there was a different choice made at that at that moment. Yeah. So you know I I don't know that um, I don't know that that kind of 
adaptation at that stage would have made everything better. I think it would have just shifted the context and, and something, something different would have been wonderful. Uh, you know, something else would have been the rose and something different would have been the thorn and, and, you know, you, and you play a different hand. So I don't know that it would have been better, but, but looking back on it, that's the reflection that I have of, of what took me a long time to learn Uh, very much with a growth mindset, you know, thinking about what, you know, what do I not know yet? And, um, and so looking back on it, those are things that I think I would have liked to have known a little earlier. So what's, what's a pivotal moment um, that really shifted you that you don't like to talk about? Mm. Yeah, sorry, my phone's ringing. So I'm going to take this call. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, that was a good podcast, Bips. <laughs> I, I, don't think he, I don't think he expected to be quite put on the spot like this, but this is good. I, yeah. I, 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 don't see, um, I don't see Sean looking up and to the right that often. So he's, uh, <laughs> he's definitely got him thinking now. Yeah, you know. I'm in a, I'm in a cheeky mindset to... Sean, what happens after six That's weeks right. vacation? Yeah, yeah, I was going to yeah. say no more vacation, um, <laughs> or or put me on the other side of vacation. You know, I think it's. Uh, I'm glad you asked. I don't. I don't know that I have um, something that I'm accessing easily, but I will tell you that um, there. I think as as a as a consultant, there are times where you're, um, you know, where you're you're building a solution design and, and you make some assumptions about it because it, um, because you, you can't know the the whole story at the, at the time of design. And so you, you make some leaps of faith and you, and you kind of spec things out at the highest level that you can. And, you know, I think the, um, I think the, the, the thing that I, don't like talking about is just where um, where there's been something that was likely knowable that we didn't go and try to uncover, and then that led to pain and suffering of um, of people around me. I guess I end up being highly extroverted, and the experience of both the the folks on my team as well as our clients, it, it matters a lot to me. I feel it pretty deeply. And so where there's something like that, that was knowable that I, that I could have uncovered that that's been the kind of thing that keeps me up at night because I know that I've, I've, um, I've created a lot of pain and suffering for others. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I can, I can feel that. I think we can all relate to that one. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> like I, yeah. I just had three scenarios where I know I've done that in the past. It was, yeah, it's, yeah. I, th- I think that's, um, I want to, I, I want to, uh, I think it's really interesting. A couple of things you've said today that I want to really sort of home in on. Because, um, you, you know, the story you shared around in terms of how your career has developed. So, you know, from the, from the, from the, you know, the Excel consultant, let's call it that, to deeper into technology. You did your own thing, but you stayed very, very deep. Then you went back to a, basically an organization and, and, you know, started what we would call a journey to awesome manager and then ultimately to top-notch executive. So you've had four or five circles of suck in, in our place, which we're all basically identity shifts. I've chosen to reinvent myself, for want of a better phrase. And then you said something which was, I don't, <laughs> I don't come out of my circles of suck unless I have pain. <laughs> but I think roughly, roughly, if I'm paraphrasing you correctly. 
do you think that we have a tendency in the professional world to not legitimize the idea that there is a certain amount of suffering that's required for growth? Mm. Especially in technology, right? Because it's a rare commodity. They're hard to find. People leave easily. They get paid shit tons of money and da 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 da, right? So everyone wants to have a lovely environment, a happy environment, all the bells and whistles on their employee experience and blah, 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 which then turns into how do we create a supportive environment? How do we create a collaborative environment? How do we create a friendly environment where everyone likes each other and sings kumbaya? I'm, I'm doing this on purpose, by the way, right? Um, but then if you do that, then how do you ever get to the place where you engineer those moments of pain to allow accelerations of career or identity? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, my mind is racing as you're talking. Uh, so it, it, I, I think that you're, you're onto something, you know, I, I, my mind went towards some of the job descriptions that are typical in technology. We, we want someone who has five plus years of expertise on blah, blah platform and, and 10 years of, uh, expertise with this coding language. If they know and COBOL, so the, by the way, Vicky's great at COBOL. <laughs> I remember my move statements, Vips. <laughs> you know, you, you, those are the kinds of things that you see. Those are the kinds of things that are rewarded. You rarely see, um, you rarely see something that's more along the lines of, um, of you know, adapting and, and taking on something new or, or being able to be on the, on the leading edge and, and to turn over into the, into the next wave and the next wave after that. And I think that's, I think it's, I think it's partly for that reason that you're describing that there's not, um, is that I think we're wired as humans to try to avoid suffering. And I think inside our organizations, we're also, I think, wired to avoid suffering, but, but suffering is a big part of what drives skills and motivation. Um, so I think there's a healthy amount of it. Uh, just think that there's a lot of art in, in how much is the, is the right amount. And Vips, like, I remember talking about this relative to kids, you know, it's like, how do you, how do you try to get the right amount of suffering for your kids so that they don't have a silver spoon, but they, but they also are well cared for and, and they feel loved. And there's some sweet spot in the middle that has enough challenge for them to become resilient. And to know that that they that they're resilient by themselves, not even just with you, the parent. And I think there's a similar sort of sweet spot that exists for um, for your employees as well. And that's a lot of so probably a lot more art than science. Maybe there is science, and and uh, and you can school me on it. Well, I certainly don't know what the science is. I, I definitely experience it as art, but I, I I do I do I do I do think that's part of the reason why we have many highly paid technology individual contributors and even reasonably good managers or even architects, but what we don't really have are too many great leaders in the world of technology, people that people want to naturally follow and gravitate towards. Because I think um, so somewhere along the line that's been missed and it's, and it's the, the wider ecosystem doesn't seem to know how to create a supply of those through, it's almost like, weird things have to happen in order for the right things to have occurred for it to happen, as opposed to like, I, I can get you from a junior developer to a team lead or a scrum master to an architect that there's a, there's a predictable path to that, but I don't think there's a predictable path 
towards a business savvy technology sourced leader that you want to follow. Unless you're just super lucky, right? And you're the, you're the, you know, Americans love entrepreneurs, right? And it's the only way you can become a billionaire right now is if you're a tech entrepreneur. So it's very easy if you're if you're a Zuckerberg or a Musk or whatever to have, you know, the cult or the jobs, the cult of the, you know, the technology billionaire. But if if you look at it more from, you know, if you if you think that that's like, you know, 0.0000001% of of the pyramid, um I I don't see a I don't see the system that creates fabulous leaders from a technology background, if you like, or with a technology bias, maybe is a way to say it, um, at the volume levels that I, I think we need to make, to deal with the challenges of the world, quite frankly. And that's what keeps me up at night because I know they need to come from the world of technology because it's such a big part of, of innovation, of growth, of of you know dealing with the biggest problems recycling environment climate whatever it may be but but you know you can make a lot more money figuring out how to sell cars for google than you can than you can dealing with some of the bigger worldwide problems that require a different type of leadership so it's a bit, a bit somber but um i bring it up because what i come across in technology is so many people who want to do that but, but they don't really realize that the journey to doing that requires at some level being less techie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's interesting, the, the people element throughout. Um, in some cases, I think uh, s- some people may be drawn to a tech track because it appears to be not having to deal with some of the messiness of some of the, of the people-related things kind of similar to, to where, you know, um, you know, certainly when I was, when I was looking at my degree program in college, I was, you know, foreign language wasn't easy for me. So I was looking for something that, that didn't have a lot of Spanish or French or Italian because it was, it was hard. So I think that sometimes, you know, you know, people are thinking that a tech track is a, is a non people track, but I think the, the upper levels of the organizations, they, they've got people all in them. And then, and then, and then I think, you know, it's easy to get quickly within like five or six years up to a level where it's 80% people. And I think when you look at some of the names that you mentioned, Zuckerberg, Musk, uh, some of the others that yes, they had the tech chops, um, but it was really the vision and, and probably their people leadership that really drove that idea from what it, what it could be to what it, it did become. I think that's a really interesting uh, point because as people decide to stay on the tech track, track and become an architect or, or, or something in that vein, they often do it thinking they can hide away from the people side of things, but actually the level of influence they need is even greater because they don't have the Spanish Control. controls underneath them to get stuff done. What have you seen are the important skills, if you break it down, when you think about as you get more senior and you're a technologist, um, if you don't have a group of people reporting to you, how do you make an impact? Well, I think, uh, you know, there's there's the notion of selling your idea, selling your design, selling the architecture. I think there there's skills of persuasion and being able to speak um, business value that uh, that's necessary to be able to 
to create a solution that's going to that's going to matter that's going to be used so i think there's um you know i think sometimes people want technology cuz it it appears to be a track that that doesn't have to sell but i think i think you do have to sell more than you realize maybe not in in the traditional sort of tweed jacket uh kind of metaphor but but certainly in the idea of of communicating compelling ideas that other people want to say yes to and are willing to ask you tough questions about uh you know i think the and another thing that that comes to mind is is uh you know writing software and building software products is is inherently complex uh there's just uh there's a lot to it and it's why a lot of the like agile software development practices that that it came from software and and not from other places it's just it's a it's a challenging thing to do and i think because of that the the art of asking good questions is is one of the pieces that uh that Vips and I have talked about many times and that it becomes really important to be able to, to try to ascertain what you don't know yet and to, and to be able to, to dig into those things. Because a lot of times um, people don't tell you the full story of what they need. Sometimes that's because there's not a lot of time, but other times it's because they don't have it clear in their mind. And, and what they really need is a partner to, to be able to help them uncover it. And, um, and, and I think a, a technologist that can do that well is someone who will make waves. So there needs to be a great private investigator to get really under the covers of, of, of what's going on and then convince others to follow them and come on the journey. I think it's a good summary of, of two of the big ones. That's great. It's a really nice way of putting it. So you, you've, you did it, right? You've, you know, you're, you're I would, I, I, I consider you a technology orientated business leader. That's what you are now. But it wasn't always that way. So with that said, do you regret it? Do you wish, do you, wish you were stuck at one of those other levels, if you will, or other, other identities as you were going through this? No, I don't regret it. In fact, I think the, probably the only way I could have made it here is, is probably through that track. I think I, I would have liked to have learned some of the lessons a little earlier and, and um, maybe gone faster or, or have the circles of suck a little more shallow or, or less, less long. <laughs> but no, I don't, I don't regret it. And I, I don't, and I just don't think that I, I would be here without that journey. So, so no, I don't, I don't regret it. And um you know, in a lot of ways, I feel lucky to have had the the opportunity and um, and to be uh, well. Yeah, I guess to to I feel lucky for the richness of the opportunity. Yeah. Do you have, do you have a sense that it? Um, you probably haven't given this. I know I haven't asked you this question before, so I don't know if you're going to have an answer for this or not. Um, do do you do you feel that you it? When you made those shifts, did you feel like the aperture of the opportunities that were available for you stayed more or less the same, increased, decreased? Like, did, did you experience a difference once you made those shifts? In yes. terms of what was available to you that you didn't realize might be available to you? It may be the way I'm, I'm trying to say it. Yeah, I think so. I think, but there's a narrowing before there's an expanding. So I think it was on a bit of a curve. It certainly wasn't only an expanding type of possibilities, but I think consistent with the, with the circle of suck concept is that, um, is that things would, would become more narrow. I think as, 
tension mounted before they would open back up as tension was released and an understanding was achieved. So, so I think that there's, um, the, the aperture did change, but it, uh, but, but it, it certainly would go in both directions. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got to ask you, like, we're going to probably wrap up in about five minutes or so, but I, I'm really curious as to, um, you know, what's next for you on your techie to business leader journey? What do you want to do with all of that? I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're close to that point now where you've accumulated so much experience, so much knowledge, so much, um, uh, so many building blocks for fabulousness to use our language. Um, where, where do you, what do you see yourself doing with that? Yeah. Well, I appreciate the compliment. I, you know, you, you said in a, in a previous question that you see me as, as a, uh, you know, as a leader and, and, uh, someone who's like made the conversion and, and I, I squirmed in my seat a little bit only because I, I don't, I feel like I'm someone who's doing that, but not someone who has done that Okay. very much like a present tense verb of, um, I'm very much still in it and I'm still learning. And I, and, and honestly, I think it's, um, that's what makes it exciting is that, is that there's still things to learn. There's still room to grow. I don't have it all figured out. And, um, and I think it's that, that wonder of what's next and, and, finding the next challenge that, that really keeps me going. So I, you know, I think what's next is, is to transition into the, in, into the, that, that next stage of, of leading at scale of, of truly enabling the success of others, uh, by orchestrating a lot of the pieces behind the curtain, creating scenarios and experiences where people are self-realizing things that they need along the way, because it's one thing for us to teach something. It's another thing for, for them to feel like they learned something on their own without, without being, um, you know, sort of starting to say the phrase spoon fed. That sounds kind of, you know, pedantic. Uh, so I don't, I don't mean without that, being but without, How about yeah, that? or, or over, overly, um, structured. Um, so, you know, I think it's just, it's, I think the future for me is is playing in that space of trying to figure out how to maximize the learning potential and the and the capability of the people on the team while um, not bringing um, overly rote or overly scripted experiences to the table because I think that's a fun uh, continuum to experiment with and and you know that along with writing and speaking, those are some of the things that I think are, are hopefully in my future. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So I like to always like to leave it with something that people can react to and reflect on for themselves. So if you, if you think about, you know, the journey through those various stages that you described earlier for yourself, um, you know, if you had to do a, if you imagine you're writing a, you know, Huffington Post or a, or a Forbes style, you know, Sean McCall's top five tips to navigate the circles of suck from technologist to business leadership. What would you put on that list? I think my favorite idea is this, this idea of the cooking show hack. Uh, that, that idea is, you, you, do you ever watch a cooking show and it, it, looks so, it looks so joyful? Like they've got all the ingredients pre-cut and pre-measured and they're all in, in nice bowls all on the table. And all they do is they just assemble and the like they don't do. The work is all before you on the camera, right? That's right. 
they don't, you don't see the shopping or the measuring or the chopping. You don't see the cleanup. You just see the assembling. So, so I tried that. I thought, well, I'm going to make myself a cooking show. And sure enough, I really enjoyed the cooking. What I didn't enjoy is the fact that the cooking was surrounded by all these other tasks that weren't nearly as much fun, like the cleanup and the shopping and all this stuff. So the, the idea of the cooking show hack is do some of the, of the things that are the less pleasant parts the afternoon before like as a closing task of a Monday afternoon and then Tuesday morning, come in and do the really joyful part, do the assembly, do, do the, you know, the big part that's going to make the idea really sing. And, um, but don't, don't do any of the prep that morning, just go straight to it. And I think in doing so there's lots of joy and, um, and freedom and creativity that comes from that moment. Uh, I just think that sometimes what we do is we pack all the other stuff in around it, and that can reduce the the luster of a particular experience. So that's probably the one that stands out to me as as my favorite. And if you get in the habit of doing that at the end of each day, picking that that one main thing that if I did that one thing tomorrow, that would make tomorrow a great day. And then you ask yourself the question, what could I do this afternoon? that allows me to go straight into that task tomorrow morning. And I really mean straight into it. I mean, not looking at email, not, not going. And because I think this is one of the problems is that like when you've got resources that are in your inbox and stuff like that, well, then you open your inbox to go get them. And then you see the, you know, in number of messages, it's, it's like you, yes, you I just tried. go, you go get a folder and you stash everything in this folder that you need and you don't open email. You just go straight into this folder and you open the thing you want to do and then you give your energy to it first thing in the morning when most people's energy is high. And then, you know, your inbox is waiting there for you at 9.30 or 10 or, or whatever. And, you know, when, I, when I'm able to get into that kind of rhythm, it, those are the days and weeks that I feel the best about myself. And, and I think those are when my work product is is the very best because, um, because I'm maximizing my attention and maximizing my creativity. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's, uh, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. You made me think that your cooking show hack thing is so cool. It made me think about, um, we are doing it. We're doing, um, like a program at the moment on how to rewire our self-discipline given, you know, the current environment and, you know, pseudo lockdown and, you know, COVID distancing and so forth, working from home remotely, et cetera. And, and it's, 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 it's nothing short of a, you know, um, we, we have this phrase that we got so used to outsourcing our discipline to our work environments. Like if you have to physically be somewhere, then you're probably going to be doing something associated with what you have to do when you're there. But if you're in your living room or your bedroom, then, then you, that, that accountability is now on you. That discipline is now on you. It's, it's no longer, you don't get any of that for free from the environment. And as you were talking about that, it really made me think that, you know, you didn't say it out loud. And I know this of you. And I want people to hear that, you know, you have you 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 have extraordinary self-discipline when it comes to when it comes to I need to work myself through a challenge or a circle of suck or a problem. You don't give up. I'd really like you, just in the few minutes we have left, to say, where do you think that I don't give up came from for you? And how would you speak to someone who maybe doesn't have those levels of self-discipline and is trying to figure out how to be, how can I be, how can I put it, be more committed rather than New Year's resolution-ish? <laughs> well, thanks for the compliment. Uh, I think that it, 
it, it comes from a place of wanting to be valued. Um, you know, I, and, and maybe some of that's not the healthiest mm-hmm. channel because it's, um, I think some of it is seeking external validation. And sometimes I think seeking external validation was because the internal self-talk and the internal validation wasn't there. So I think, I think, um, early in my life, I didn't learn some of those skills. And so the way I still met the need of feeling accepted and, and achieving validation was through hustle and achievement. And, and then I, and then I kind of ate that up and that was the, some of the life source that fed me. But, um, you know, I, I think that the, uh, that probably the healthier way is to, is to balance that internal and external validation and to, and to drive a, a self-image of, of self-worth and a growth mindset and, uh, and appreciation for the journey, not the destination, those types of things. They sound a little bit cliche, but I think those are the, those are the things that, you know, to try to drive into four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds in, in, in music, in school, in sports, in family, in chores, with pets, with each other, with, you know, those types of things, because um, I think without that, then they show up in our adult lives in those types of ways. Yeah. So I don't know if, I don't know if that helps, but I, um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll tell you that I, that's where I think a lot of it comes for. for, That's, that's incredible. So I, I I just want to say, this is great. I, it's, it's so much fun to do, uh, for the you know, for those of you who don't know, Sean and I, we've known each other for a long time. We've threatened to do something together for I don't know four years, never actually got around to it. You know, mainly mainly because of my issue, and um, and it's this is like a this is like a nice moment for me. I really wanted to do this with Sean, and uh, I think this has been so insightful, and it's really nice to hear for someone who has made who has a very different journey and ended up in a very similar kind of place, um, and just to show particularly those of you who are more technical in nature, that uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Those are right choices. But if you do want to take the journey towards becoming becoming better leaders that can in some way, shape or form, create more impact in the world or reinvent their environments, whether it be their, whether it be their causes, their communities, whether it be their companies, then um, some of what was said today should really, should really help accelerate you because uh, we're talking to someone who's done it already. So um, what can I say, Sean? Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to the next one, um, episode two. And Well, I enjoyed it very much. The conversation was wonderful, and I'm so glad we, we finally made it here, and I look forward to the next one as well. Sounds great. So until, until next time, everyone, be fabulous, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.